Good afternoon, everybody. Uneducated economist here. So I thought I'd talk a little bit about rents for just a moment. Um, my entire life, anytime I've ever heard people talk about rents, they've always talked about how expensive they are and how it's unaffordable and how something needs to be done to try and bring in cheaper rent or more affordable rents. This is something that I've heard like my entire life. Like there's been very few moments in time in which that I've heard people not complaining about this particular topic. And so when I hear people saying rent is too high or rent's, you know, extremely expensive, I can't afford to live, we need to find things to make rent cheaper, I just kind of always just kind of blew that off to the side saying, well, there's nothing that you're really going to be able to do about it. You know, I was, I like to refer back to that Roman tablet where it was, they were talking about like the average Roman and how they lived their life. And on this tablet, there was three concerns that this person had. How do I, how, where do I get my next meal? What happens if I get sick and how do I pay the rent? And I mean, these are three things that are never going to change no matter what. I don't care what condition of life that, you know, we try to create for society and stuff. We're always going to have those issues. Now, one of the things that I think about is oversupply, undersupply, the bullwhip effect, right? And this happens through everything within the economy. It's not just lumber, which I focused in on and was really easy for me to see and, you know, be able to put videos out talking about it. But other things, it's it's a lot more difficult to try and explain it, especially if you're not right in that industry being able to give the anecdotal evidence of things that you're seeing at the time. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. But we can, we can find that when there's a huge demand, when the demand goes up and there's supply limited, prices go right with it. There was a huge demand for rent. There was hardly any space available to rent. Prices shot way up. Now, I experienced this myself when I went to go buy my house. I wasn't even trying to buy a house. I was renting and the landlord of the place that I was renting said, hey man, if you don't want to buy this place, you're going to have to move because I'm looking to sell. So I had to move. I had to, I didn't want to buy that particular house. It wasn't in the location that I wanted. So I'm thinking, no problem. I'll go find a place to rent. There was no place to rent. You got to think this is in the middle of like the pandemic where everybody is, you know, in this moratorium where they're not going to get kicked out for not paying rent or making their house payment or anything. There was no place available, no places to rent. I ended up having to buy and the rents that were there, even though I, they wouldn't allow me to bring my dog, but there was places like houses, $3,500 a month, like twice as much as what an apartment would be and way more than what the house payment would be. 
but this is the experience that I had to go through. So I thought, okay, well, I got to buy. So I ended up buying. But at this exact same time, the demand for rent is so big that people are wanting to take advantage of this, right? Hey, if people are willing to pay this much rent, I want rental income. What do we need? We need apartment complexes. We need duplexes. We need fourplexes, whatever. We need all these 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 rental properties in order to take advantage of these high rents. So the demand for multi-residential buildings, like the apartment complexes, really started to increase over the last few years. Well, what are we going to experience if we have this huge demand for rent, a huge build into apartment complexes, and then all of a sudden the rents drop? What do you think is gonna happen? Well, when you go to build these apartment complexes, there's a projection, right? We are going to be able to get this much money for this much rent, right? Or for these rental incomes or rental properties. And when you go to take out the loans or, you know, sell the bonds or whatever it is that you're going to do in order to acquire the money to build this project, the idea is, is that once this project is completed, this is how much income we are going to be able to generate off of it. Well, once the project's complete and you go to rent them out and you realize, oh no, nobody's coming to rent these things. Or we need to start lowering the rent to attract the renter. As you start to lower the rent to try and attract the renter, the income going into this property is no longer suitable enough profit to pay the debt on it. What ends up happening? It goes bankrupt. So now this is really where I think we are going to see the major downturn in the real estate market. Isn't necessarily going to be in houses where everybody is hyper-focused. They're all looking on housing, like housing drop, housing drop. That's where it's going to be. I, I don't think so. I think it's going to be more in this commercial side of things, more in the apartment multi-residential buildings that have recently gone up with the idea that they are going to get high-paying high rent income out of it only to find out that it's not going to be that high and that the availability to fill these units means lowering the rent in order to attract those renters and that is going to bankrupt a lot of these apartment complexes out there now that's really where i think people should be focused in on I'm going to leave a few links down in the description for you so that you can kind of keep an eye on some of these things that are taking place but then take a look around, take a look around in your local communities, take a look around at some of those apartment complexes. It seems that everybody, like even here in Astoria, we have the huge apartment complex that's, you know, about ready to be completed out there, you know, uh, here in, in our local area, I've heard plenty of other people say this exact same thing. So if you can imagine like all the cities around the country, all over the place, started building these apartment complexes at the exact same time, all of a sudden, there's going to be a lot of rental income or rental properties hitting the market at the same time that we have a slowdown in the economy, slowdown in jobs, you know, in, wage increases, slowdown in job hiring, may even start moving into more layoffs and unemployment rising. This is not going to do well for all those apartment complexes that have just been finished thinking that they were going to get high rental income off of it. It's just not going to be there for them. So this is really, again, like what I would start to focus in on. What you're going to find is that it's not necessarily individual people who are going to start failing. Like, you know, if you have a housing market when it starts to fail, then individuals start to fail. 
But a lot of these apartments and stuff, there are like groups of investors who have bought into these things. And now I kind of wonder, it was like, how were these things sold? Were they sold as like, were they, were they creatively packaged up is what I guess I should say. You know, when you think about like some of the collateralized loan obligations and how they were able to take a bunch of really bad debt, jumble it up into a security that has then been chopped up so that you can buy only the best AAA rated portion of a bunch of stuff that really is not that great. Actually, it's not even that great. It's actually terrible. But yet, if you put it into a bigger security, then you can manipulate it into a condition in which that it gives it a AAA rating. And then pension funds and other people who are limited to only the highest grade ratings can then start purchasing in on some of that stuff. I wonder how much of these apartment complexes and type of buildings have the risk now sitting on, like, say, pension funds or in areas like that. I mean... We won't really know until the thing blows up and we figure out what happens. And then as the people start to fail, right, the people who have invested into this, you know, whether it's an individual who put up their cash or it's a pension fund and they have no clue that they've even invested into this, who ends up winning off of the credit default swaps? Because you know, you know that all these investments have an insurance policy that's covering it. Now, how much of that insurance policy has been sold? Who owns that and how big is that going to kick in if these things start to fail? That's the question that I kind of have when I look at stuff like this. Okay, I'm going to leave it. Uneducated economist, you guys let me know.